Hey there, adventurer. I appreciate you taking the time to do an investigation check and dig into the archives of the show. I wanted to let you know that this is an old episode back when the show was called The Hard Thing Podcast. The topics are still the same, though the format and some of the names are different. If instead you are coming back to The Hard Thing Podcast, well, surprise, we changed our name and some of our branding. Feel free to hang out in the archives and listen to all the wonderful old episodes of The Hard Thing Podcast or take on a new adventure by listening to some of our current episodes. Either way, happy adventuring. This is the Hard Thing Podcast. Today, we are overcoming average. Welcome back to another episode of the Hard Thing Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Lewis, and this is the show to help give you the tools that you need in order to overcome the hard things in your life right now, as well as prepare for the ones coming down the line. We're here to make you in the kind of person that can overcome any obstacle deal with any trial, and be a better person because of it. We're going to talk with high-performing individuals, such as the one we have on today's show, and get into their story, as well as dig out action items that we can implement in our lives to also see high results and achieve great things. Uh, before we get to that, a couple of announcements. First of all, I'd like to invite you guys to go to Operation Underground Railroad. Visit them at OURrescue.org. Uh, they're a nonprofit organization that goes undercover to rescue kids from sex trafficking. Children all over the world are being stolen, taken from their homes, taken from public places, taken from churches even, and pressed into slavery. Sometimes it's physical labor. Sometimes it's sexual slavery. Sometimes it's organ harvesting. All of it is bad. We want to invite you to help us put a stop to it. So go to OURrescue.org, get involved with Operation Underground Railroad. Uh, the first thing that they need right now is just more people to be aware of the problem. So just go get informed at OURrescue.org. Next, I'd like to invite you guys to go get bonus content of the podcast at Patreon.com slash TheHardThingPodcast. You can see all sorts of extra bonus content there. And also, make sure you reach out to us on Instagram at TheHardThingPodcast. Send me a quick direct message, a DM, as the children say, of some things that you need in order to overcome the hard things in your life. Some things that would help you immensely, whether that's a community, whether that's a specific tool. Just tell us, tell me what you need in order to see results in your life. So again, that's at the hard thing podcast on Instagram. Now let me tell you about today's guest. Today I have the wonderful opportunity of talking with the writer of Third Shift Entrepreneur and the founder of Bunker Labs, Todd Connor. He is an expert in entrepreneurship, specifically entrepreneurship that does not require you to go buy a huge course and quit your day job today. Instead, we talk about starting small, beta testing your ideas, doing things that actually drive results without having to sell the farm, if you will. It's a great conversation, and I'm excited to give it to you. So go ahead and listen up to my conversation with Todd Connor. All right. Well, thank you for coming on the Hard Thing Podcast, Todd. Todd, I'm excited to have you here. Thanks, Justin. It's good to be with you. Excellent. Talking about the hard things. <laughs> uh, well, let's let's jump in with the question that I ask every single guest. Todd, what's the hardest thing you've ever done? The hardest thing I've ever done. Um, 
writing this book might have been the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, and not writing, because writing for me is easy. Um, but first of all, it was during COVID. Um, and I had a, I'm very clear on the things I want to communicate and the encouragement that I want to give. But writing a book and then having a book published and then sitting with the permanence of that book, that it's going to exist in physical form and people are going to have a reaction to it. And what will it stand the test of time? Even though I don't, I don't presume that this is a book that, that is that important or that people will be talking about in, you know, three years, let alone 50 years, but the permanence still sticks with you. And I, I got to a point where I launched the book sort of in beta and, um, and pulled it back and retooled it because I, I, I felt like it just wasn't where it needed to be. And it's, I didn't have that understanding that it wasn't where it needed to be until it was actually shipping out for people that had pre-ordered. And that was a surprising and kind of jarring experience. Um, Tina Fey uh, was interviewed and um, I think on Brittany Brown uh, on her podcast and was asked what's the hardest thing she's ever done. And she said it was writing a book because unlike a live skit, in her instance, um, she could sort of blame it on, you know, just the spontaneity of a moment, or maybe it was bad writing on SNL or bad writing on 30 Rock. Um, but a book is yours and um, and you have the chance to be with it and you have to sort of defend it and own it. And it's, it's with you forever in that sense. And so that was um, a surprising thing, particularly for me uh, where I'm used to and comfortable with starting things and launching things and the sort of ephemeral nature of social media, you know, if you don't have a great, you know, TikTok video, it kind of just goes away. It finds its way into obsolescence. If your right. tw tweet wasn't great, you just delete it. If um, if an interaction wasn't great with it with the person, you reach out and you have a conversation about why it wasn't great. Maybe you apologize and you make it right and you move on. But a book is sort of a one way feed that feels permanent. And so um, I was surprised at at the feeling of that hadn't expected it. Um, but I'm, I'm really glad I did it. Um, there's only one way to find out if you like being an author and it's to write a book and get a book published. Um, and then to have a, a nuanced and informed view of, of what that means for you. So that was mine. There's awesome. others, but that's one. Right. Right. The nice thing about hard things is life has no shortage of hard things today, tomorrow, in the next year. Um, I, I find your experience very interesting. As, as a podcast host, I'm very familiar with um, doing take one and it being subpar and realizing that either you put it out or you you know schedule everything again. And um, so you kind of get used to doing things where they're not 100% perfect. Uh, but I, I can easily understand what you mean where you say the permanence of the book kind of affected you because if, if you think about it, um, a book probably more than... Uh, more than our digital media is is kind of like a message to the future. Uh, you know, it's it's crossing the barriers of time and space in a weird in a weird way. Um, and they don't have whoever reads the book doesn't have the the opportunity unless they go out and seek more information about you. They don't have the opportunity to to, to seek clarification. They just have whatever's in the book. So I, I I find that very interesting. When you were talking about your beta experience, um, and and as someone who you know works in business and um, you know, minimal viable products is kind of a, a very interesting topic. 
Um, how did you come to the realization that your book wasn't quite there yet, but so much so that you actually had to pull it back and, and kind of retool it a little bit? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, what's, what's, what's interesting is for me, it's so reflexive and natural to put betas out there. I mean, to sort of float trial balloons. I, I think it's something that if you're an entrepreneur and I talk a lot, a, a lot about this in the book, that's part of what we do. You know, you, you build the capacity to, um, to test. Uh, and sometimes what you're testing is ideas, you know, sometimes what you're testing is, um, an opportunity. Sometimes what you're testing is something that you've built. Uh, and so that is part of the skill set of entrepreneurs is that we sort of, we present things that are of interest to us. And the, and when we do that, um, and maybe it's as simple as going and creating a Facebook post to say, look, I, I think that, um, you know, my, my seven-year-old kid would, would, would benefit from an after-school meetup. Does anyone else want to meet up with me? It's, you know, that's a small act of courage to sort of put yourself out there, express a need, express an opportunity to build something and then see what comes back. And entrepreneurship is full of those, really those micro moments. And, and I think what we're up against in those moments is, is not financial failure or, or fear of failure per se. That's how entrepreneurship gets talked about a lot, but we're really up against our own reputations. It's like, well, what if people think it's silly that I asked this or what if people aren't reacting? So, that testing experimentation process is part of what you do as an entrepreneur. And, and, and it's, I think of it as beta testing. I, you can beta test, not just technology products, but you can beta test conversations. You can beta test ideas. Um, you know, this conversation with you, Justin is like in, in some ways for me, a beta test of the next conversation. And so um, that's a very natural cycle that's cultivated that I actually really celebrate when it comes to a book. Um, a publication of a book doesn't sort of allow for that same beta test. I mean, you can do things and I did do things like, like have private reviewers and, and, and engage a number of folks as well as not to mention the publisher, you know, they had their own editorial process. Um, but it wasn't until the thing was getting ready to ship in a more permanent way that I thought, you know what, there's more to this. Um, and, uh, and I just called the publisher and said, I want to do more with this book. I want it to be bigger and different than it is. Um, and they weren't, they, they didn't quite have a process for that, but they went along with me and I said, this is important to me. I want to make this happen. And, and they allowed for that. So, um, you know, so a book is different in that sense, the permanent nature of it. Um, but there's a lot of things that um, we're having to do to start. And I believe in the process of starting and, and the fear that comes with that, that reputational moment that says, okay, I'm about to declare that this is something that I care about. This is something that I'm doing. And I think it's really that paralyzing, that the paralyzing moment there is, is not fear of failure or fear of financial loss. It's mostly reputational fear. And that's something that we talk about and explore in the book. And so for most people, I would say, when you're going to do the hard thing, if you want to start something, the hard thing I, I'm going to, I'm going to bet for most people is going to boil down to a reputational confrontation. It's standing up and saying, this matters to me. I'm going to do something. I'm committed to this. Um, and really being in front and saying like, this is my name, my face, I'm committed. You know, it's what you're doing by having this podcast, you know, it's, it's putting yourself out there. So that is, that is the thing for most people that want to get started that they have to confront. The good news is um, if that's the barrier, 
there's a lot of things that I don't think are barriers. You don't have to quit your job. You don't have to invest a lot of money. You don't have to um, uh, necessarily get, you know, tons of eyeballs and outside attention. You just have to be willing to put something out there to start. I think that's very fascinating. The reputational confrontation. I've never heard of that before, but uh, in, you know, I think most people have had at least some sort of entrepreneurial idea, at least once in their life, maybe it's the lemonade stand or maybe, you know, a couple, a few years ago, myself and some friends, we started a window cleaning business just to earn some money and things like that. Um, and it's interesting when you, because as happens in life, people ask, what are you doing with your life? You know, what's going on? Like what's going on in the life of Justin and uh, with this podcast or whatever, you know, um, obviously there's an opportunity there to say, oh, I'm doing a podcast or, oh, I'm starting a startup or, oh, I am doing this certificate, you know, all, all these things. And not really until now have I ever thought of those moments as being kind of a pivotal mindset shift, you know, an opportunity to really stand up and be like, I am representing my podcast in a, in a very professional way, uh, you know, because in, in the past with this podcast, I, I've, uh, when people have asked, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm kind of doing this podcast thing, you know, and I, I'm rather young in my podcast journey, but I, I think that's very fascinating that you bring it up. How have you, what methods have you seen are the best in overcoming that confrontation between you and your supposed reputation? Mm-hmm. Well, like anything, I think the more you do it, the easier it gets. So starting things is a learned um, behavior. It's a practice that's cultivated. Um, the most entrepreneurial generation in this country is actually the 50 and older, which surprises people. But it's people that are older in this country that are starting more businesses than younger people. And they're people that have been doing it for a long time. So they've gotten good at starting. Um, and so the more you do it, the easier it gets. And, and, and that's why we're seeing success with older Americans. I, I think, um, you have to start, you have to practice, you have to treat entrepreneurship as a vocation, um, like you would becoming a chef and understand you can never get to excellence in being a chef without preparing a lot of meals and without some of those meals, not being great. You just won't get there. And so sometimes I think people have a mental model of entrepreneurship, which is prepare, 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 get it right, get it perfect, get it right. And then like announce it, you know, but that's like the equivalent of going to culinary school um, in preparation of making your first meal. And then your the first meal that you ever have is after graduating from culinary school. And the stakes of that feel super high. Um, and they feel very definitive. And I think we talk about, we've, we've too often talked about entrepreneurship as a grand moment of like, I'm launching, um, which is like graduating culinary school and saying, the meal is finally ready, you know? Yeah. The stakes of that are really high. The different approach is to bring people into the kitchen with you. I'll continue with the culinary example and say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm making this sauce. What do you, what do you think? Um, and that requires two things. It requires that you actually are making a sauce. So some people like to sort of celebrate, hey, in two weeks, I'm going to make the most amazing meal you've ever had. And you see people in an entrepreneurship sense making those kinds of de declarations. 
you know, get ready. I'm about to do something. It's like, well, you know, who cares what you're about to do? Um, what I'm curious about is what you've done and what exposure I have to it and whether or not I can tell you what I think of it. So you've got to get comfortable making a sauce, bringing people into the kitchen, asking what they think about it, give them a little taste. They tell you it's good. They tell you it's too salty. They tell you that they don't like it. You know, I, I like it, but what does it go with, you know? So <clears throat> I don't know how far I can take that metaphor, but. No, yeah, it's great. It's a good one. But, but that's what, that's what it is. And, and then it's willing, it's willing to actually invite people into the kitchen, have them tell you it's not that good. And then listen to that and then adjust course. And maybe the answer is like, well, you don't like it because it's, you know, it's uh, it's Italian and you don't like Italian at all. Well, maybe you're not my audience for this. Maybe you only like, you know, Chinese food. Uh, but if you do like Italian and you don't like this, then I should ask myself why. So that's the process. It's small, it's small tastings. It's like, what's the tasting menu that you're putting out for people who might want the thing that you're building, but can also tell you that it's not that great. And so the question for anybody, whether you have a podcast or, or, or if you're building anything, it's not, what are you doing? And this is actually the counterintuitive part. It's who likes what you're doing that is gonna, that can tell me about it besides you, the person who's doing it. So like, I'm, you know, the question for me is not like, what do you, what, what do I think of my book? It's like, I don't, you know, ask people or Bunker Labs, which is the organization I, I started, you know, it's like, I have an opinion about how it's going, but the real question is not what Justin Lewis thinks of his podcast, but who are the people that are listening to it? And what do they think? Yeah. Um, and they'll tell you, they have an opinion and that's all that matters, you know? So, so for, you've got to be comfortable. Some people are not yet comfortable saying, asking honestly, Hey, what did you think of that thing that I built? Hey, did you listen to my podcast? No, tell me honestly, what do you think? Right. Those are hard. That's hard. Doing that is hard. It's an act of courage. And there's a lot of people that don't know how to move out of sales mode for things that aren't fully built yet. Mm -hmm. And they're just pushing stuff that isn't that we don't actually want yet, you know? So, so that's the hard work for entrepreneurs. Not a lot of people are actually willing to do that part. Ask like, well, what'd you think? And is it good? Um, If you're trying to build something, if you're doing it for your own enjoyment, like if you want to cook for what tastes good to you, have at it. And that's not, that's not wrong. It's like, maybe I'm just in the kitchen cooking Italian and it's like, I'm playing with sauces. I'm tweaking this, I'm tweaking that. No one else is invited in. I'm having a good time. That's not wrong, but maybe it's sometime. And that's by the way, a lot of people that are actually great entrepreneurs, they're just in the kitchen building amazing dishes. And they've never thought maybe I should invite Justin over for Italian. And if he likes what I've cooked, maybe he'll invite a couple of friends. Maybe the next time he invites a couple of friends, I'll charge them 25 bucks a plate. You know, that's actually the natural process of entrepreneurship. So we need people in the kitchen making excellent stuff because it's what they think is really good, inviting others along the way, getting a taste of that. And then, you know, at some point that opens up into a business model. But I think all too often people are like launching restaurants without ever having, you know, put together the tasting menu. Um, and that's yeah. the wrong way to do it in my yeah. mind. <laughs> no, I agree completely. And I think the continuing along the metaphor of cooking i think maybe sometimes the problem is we put too much uh too big of helpings of love into the creations we make that when someone comes in and they want to offer us their opinion um 
you know, we're, we're too connected to that particular dish podcast or whatever, you know? And I think going back to kind of what you were saying before, um, you, as far as talking about beta testing and things like that, um, being an entrepreneur, and, and I think uh, just in general in life, you kind of have to be really good at being a scientist mm-hmm. and, you know, putting this hypothesis forward, you know, this sauce tastes good. What does my audience think? You know, is this my audience? And kind of basing your experience on the results and the data and understanding and orienting yourself that way. You know what I mean? Totally. I think that's, that's exactly right. And I talk a lot in the book about actually becoming a scientist. It's kind of one of the frameworks I use. And, um, and to me, the duality is you've got to be really obsessed with the problem that you're solving, but agnostic and detached to the solution. So let's go back to the restaurant metaphor. The problem that we're solving is not a great sauce. And this is where people get confused. Entrepreneurs, they think like, well, I, I love making this sauce, but that's, a, that's falling in love with a solution. And then if someone's like, well, I don't, I don't like the sauce, then it's like, we're frustrated and we keep trying to jam a solution to someone that doesn't want that solution. The problem we're trying to, so that's the solution. The problem we're trying to solve is people that are hungry that want to enjoy a meal. Well, okay, if that's our philosophy, then I might like present this awesome sauce that I, that I like to make. I might present some meatballs. I might present some carpaccio. You know, I'll give you a few options. And then I'm curious about where you go. Oh, they love the carpaccio. Interesting. They like to have it with, you know, a glass of wine and they tend to not want it with this. And they tend to start with carpaccio and then go to the, you know, but if I'm to be a scientist is to be really like as the chef fascinated and curious, like, well, tell me why you got the carpaccio. what did you think of it? Was it too much? Was it too little? Would you have paid a couple of dollars more? You know, what, what do you think it goes well with? So, and it's interesting because I see a lot of entrepreneurs and, and restaurant owners who are, defensive about you know hey like you should well it's too bad you don't like my sauce because other people do like my sauce (laughs) and that's like that's you know there's nothing really productive about that so you've got to have sort of like a strange detachment from the things that you're building to say if people don't like it like who cares you know like i and i would do this with bunker labs i mean i'd go to an event and you know as the ceo and you want to you you you're very protective of the thing that you're building, right? So it's natural to actually be defensive and say like, well, I think we're doing a great job, and I think it's awesome, and I think it's this. But I think better leadership is like, I built the thing, but what do you think? And I've come out of events, and I'm like, what'd you guys think of that event? And entrepreneurs would be like, it wasn't that great. And I'm like, ah, oh, thank you. Tell me why, and what should we do next time to make it better? But you've got to get over your own insecurity, I think, to be able to lead like that. And there's a lot of entrepreneurs where I think we, you've got to confront your own insecurities. You've got to be willing for people to tell you, like, I don't like it. And you've got to be curious about that. Uh, and you can tell the people that are curious about it, and you can tell the people that aren't. And the ones that aren't, aren't gonna, I don't think are going to make it. And the ones that are, are going to always get it right. Because they're more concerned with getting it right than being right. You know? Like... I can have a successful Italian restaurant, but not if I insist on my sauce being in every meal and every dish that I think is amazing. Or not if I think my sauce is amazing, but 10 customers out of 12 have told us it's too salty. 
you know, I've either got to live in a world where I'm curious about that and will change my recipe or where I'm like defiant to say, well, you know, then screw you and go somewhere else. I mean, you can do that. A lot of people do do that. Sometimes they win, but I I think a more, a more, um, probable scenario, the one that I think guarantees success is staying open and building a solution that your customers want. So I think the next logical question then is to ask, um, what were some of the, the first dishes or, or sauces that, that you helped create? Yeah. If you can carry that metaphor. It's a great question. I'm, I'm making things all the time, you know, like I uh, announced the book, um, I announced the digital course that people could sign up for. I offered to, um, take a phone call. And then I also put together like a small group retreat at a bed and breakfast that we own out here. And I watched to the reaction. I'm like, what are people wanting with this? You know, I stayed curious about what are people seeing with me in terms, even social media, like I'll post stuff about my son. I'll post stuff about values driven leadership. I'll post stuff about entrepreneurship. And I see like, where, what are people looking to me for, you know? And then I, I try to give them more of what they want, you know? Um, And so that to me is a form of experimentation. You know, a book is weird. And this is, this gets back to why books are hard because a book is like, it's one thing, it's too late to change it and it's out there and it's physical. You know, so like, there's not a lot of room. There is a lot of room to think about how to write the second book. There's not a lot of room to change the one book that's been written, right? So as an author, um, you just have to keep writing if you want to be an author. I'm not sure, I'm not sure yet if I want to be an author. I'm still (laughs) learning on this process, how this, you know, how this goes. Uh, I'm very clear that I wanted to write this book, but I'm not sure I want to write another book, you know? Stephen King writes um, a book, he has a book called On Writing and it's about how to be a writer. It's very interesting. It's sort of autobiographical, but also about how to be an author. And he basically says the two things that you have to do to be an author are read a lot and write a lot. And I think if you want to be uh, an entrepreneur, you've got to offer a lot of experiments in the thing that you're trying to build and then go consume a lot of experiments for the same thing as well. So if you want to open a gym, then I'm like, you better go to every gym you can and you better try every workout you can and you better offer every workout you can, you know, and just, and that, like, that's a starting point. Not, not to, not to everyone. You don't need to go build a hundred gyms, but you ought to try in private training, a bunch of different workouts and with, with the clients you've got or with friends and see what people like. So, um, so I'm running these experiments all the time. When we run it, when we started Bunker Labs, I just, I, I reached out to veterans that I knew that were starting businesses and would say, and said, Hey, I'm, I want to get together with veterans that are starting businesses um, do you want to meet up once every couple of weeks at 1871, which is an incubator? And like, we'll talk about our businesses. Like that's the, that's the basic, you can call this minimum viable product, but this is the most basic form of what it is that I'm trying to start, you know? And then you get people together and you're like, what is it that you need? What is it that we need? Like, I don't actually have the answer. So it's convening the community first. And then ask them the question second, like, what is it that you need? And then you just build, you build from there. But I really believe that it's about co-creating with the people you're trying to serve. It's not like I'm going to go off, build a business, and then I'm going to launch it and unleash it on people. That's like doing a business to people. It's, it's, I think it's actually about building it with them. So for Bunker Labs, the first 
form was bringing people into a classroom every couple of weeks for a casual meeting and conversation. And from that, we, you know, scaled an organization nationally, but that was the starting point for a third shift entrepreneur. It was me, um, talking, having tons of conversations with individual people about how did you get started? And it was in learning those conversations that I was really curious about, because that's the problem I'm starting with is how do you start something amidst the challenges of starting, which is I can't afford to quit my job. I need this income. And from there, we can build the solution. The solution in my mind is third shift entrepreneur, which is a stra 12 strategies on how to keep your job while starting a business. Um, but the, the problem is the thing I started with, which is individual people that I was helping and, and knowing and working with that were trying to start. So it's a long way of asking your question, but I do this, you know, I think once you, once you adopt this mentality, you kind of do it in, intrinsically and I'll quit stuff as quick as I start stuff. You know, I launched a podcast series and then I was like, I don't actually want to do a podcast series. I don't think it's, I don't think it's, I don't think I'm getting a lot of feedback that this is what people need for me. And so, and I'm not that excited about it. So it's not serving a learning mechanism for me. Right. So I just quit it and, and I'm comfortable. You have to be comfortable quitting things as well. Sometimes we reputationally tell ourselves a story that we're a failure. If we quit something, we're a failure. If we keep going with something that no one wants, we're not a failure to offer something, see that no one wants it and then put it aside. That's not failure. That's, that's experimentation. So, so two questions on that. Um, how do you form your experiments like initially? And then how do you know that you've gone far enough in the experiment and it's giving you enough um, data to, to, I guess, necessitate a change? Mm. So I think you, you start the experiment and I talk about this in the book and give some specific kind of strategies and how to, how to do this as a third shift entrepreneur, but you start by asking yourself what you're really interested in. So I think it starts with you. You know, sometimes people try to come up with solutions that they don't need, but they think someone else needs. I think that's a hard place to be. So I think treating yourself as customer number one is a, is a place of pure, a purity for starting something. So then you ask yourself like, well, what is it that I need? And then you design something that works for you. You know, so like when I was starting Bunker Labs, I was a veteran who was an entrepreneur, but I was, and I wanted to help other people. But if I was to design a program and people make this mistake, I'm telling you, Justin, you've seen it. They've, they, they make it all, all the time. They think they, they, if you put yourself in a superiority role over the audience that you're trying to serve, you'll get it wrong. And people, if they have a podcast, they might, they start asking like questions that they don't find interesting, but they think the audience wants to know. And that's when you lose it, you know, um, right. or if you're a nonprofit leader, as I am, you know, you design a program that like, well, I don't need this program, but maybe someone else does. That's like when you lose it. So I think the authentic place is building a solution for a problem that you really need. Um, and, um, and then finding a way to do that in the cheapest, most available way possible. So I, I was talking to someone who wanted to get into creating online courses and it's actually interesting because he went and created a fully fleshed out 12 module, beautifully produced, extensively researched, perfect, perfect course, online course um, that no one signed up for. 
And that's like, and, and it's funny because he teaches entrepreneurship. And I was like, dude, you, you did the most obvious thing that we tell everyone not to do, which is like, you built a solution before you knew the problem and you built it in isolation apart from the people that you thought needed it. And you never stopped to ask, do you need this? Do you either need or want this course that I'm building? Um, and, you know, he hadn't done that work, right? So the second time around, he's like, well, how do I do this in the future and avoid the mistakes? And he was actually building a course on kind of like religious history. And my advice was like, offer a Zoom, host a monthly Zoom that's two hours long talking about religious history and see who shows up and do it for a year and see if they come back and do it for free, you know? Um, and yeah, that sounds like a waste of time, but it's, but, but like, if you're not willing to do this for free, if no one shows up for free, why on earth do you think that you should charge people? And that to me is like, I find that offensive actually. Like, I think, you know, you can be dramatic and say, I think it's offensive um, that I should build something and expect people to pay if they, if I wouldn't be willing to sort of offer it to them. If I, if I think it's good, then I'm confident enough that I'll get, I'll offer it to you for free. And then the next time I'll ask you to pay for it, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's how you do it, you know? And, and I think people think like, oh, it's a big milestone because I got a website because I paid for Teachable. I got a one-year license to Teachable. Yeah. Um, I got, you know, I got my branding pulled together that to do that all is backend investments that has nothing to do with sort of the product, the, the unsexy, but I would argue smart thing to do is, Hey, like go on, going on LinkedIn. Hey, everyone up from five to 7 PM on Tuesday, join me on zoom. I'm going to talk about religious history. You know, that's reputationally scary for people. The reason people do the other stuff is because it's actually not scary. Mm-hmm. It's like paying for teachable isn't reputationally scary. It's, it's just money. Um, putting together a website isn't reputationally scary. Producing this whole course that's perfect isn't reputationally scary. The reputationally scary thing is going on Facebook and being like calling some old friends from that you used to go to church with and say, hey, we haven't talked in a while, but I'm launching this course and I thought you might be interested. And then being on that, being on that Zoom from 5 to 7 p.m. on Tuesday and seeing that maybe no one shows up like that. People are terrified of that. So they'll do everything except that to sort of launch. But the real thing that is required is just to say that you're doing it for free, seeing who shows up and then suffering the consequences of whether they like it or not. Incidentally, Justin, uh, and I obviously have strong passions about this, you know, comedians and artists have this figured out. They understand, they understand this intuitively. This is like, this is what they have to be good at. You have to get up on stage and tell jokes and see if people want more of what you're offering, you know? And if they, and if they don't, then you just, you change, you tell new jokes next time. Um, you make different art next time. Um, and then you get up and you try it again, you know, but it's like, um, entrepreneurs, I think the artists have this, they understand this intuitively that you've got to build your, you create your art, offer it, and then see if there's a reaction and then adjust course. And, um, but we don't always, I think in business, we don't always appreciate that skill set as much. Right. Business is definitely uh, a science and an art form. Um, and I think that's one of the, the biggest takeaways I've gotten from this conversation. Uh, unfortunately, we're kind of down to our time limit. So before we let you go, a couple things. Uh, how can people reach out to you, support you, and, and see what you're up to, Todd? Sure. Yeah, go to uh, thirdshiftentrepreneur.com. 
Uh, go to Amazon or anywhere books are sold and, and buy Third Shift Entrepreneur. Um, and let me know what you think. I've got some self-assessments. We've got some opportunities to engage. Um, but I'm interested in what people's experiences and I want to hear more people's stories. If you're on social media and you want to start something, put it out there, offer it, you know, Hey, um, you know, before you open a bakery, go on Facebook and be like, Hey everyone, I just made some key lime pie. Shoot me a note. If you want me to make a key lime pie for you, like that is how this stuff starts. And the book is full of stories about how people can start. I think we, sometimes we tell ourselves it's much bigger than it needs to be. Sometimes we're doing that to, in order to hide from it because we're actually scared of launching. And the reality is you can start today, you can launch small, that's what the good stuff is. And, um, and it's really just about confronting your own like anxiety about it. But that's, that's you know, we can overcome that. Excellent. Um, and then last thing, we got to give our audience some action items. So this is the list I came up with based on what we talked about. Number one, uh, beta test <coughs> your, your business ideas. And number two, ask for genuine feedback from disinterested parties. Uh, would you like to add to that list at all? That's awesome. I would give one more, which is identify the problem that you're solving. People often talk about the, the business that they're building, which is the solution. Start with the problem that you're solving. So don't tell me that you're uh, launching opening up a food truck, tell me that, you know, at this, at the corner of 14th and Wabash, um, there's a hungry lunch crowd that always gathers. And there's one restaurant next door that's um, always super popular, um, but there isn't a Mexican option nearby. And I think, you know, and it's a crowd that would, I think, like that. So I'm going to go there and sell burritos for a week and see what happens, you know? So start with the problem. It, there is a business on the other side of a problem if you solve it correctly. There's not always a business on the other side of every solution because so just because it's a solution may not be it solving a problem, right? So start with good problems lead to good businesses. Excellent, awesome. I will put all that up in the show notes. Um, thank you so much, Todd. I, I appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your experiences and, and talking about this. I love that metaphor of the culinary school and uh, that's going to stick with me for a long time. Thanks, Justin. I love what you're doing. Uh, talking about hard things. Um, keep doing it. And, uh, and this has been a great podcast. So that's my unsolicited feedback to you is you, you ask great questions. So keep doing it. Thanks so much. You have uh, an excellent day. Thanks, Justin. See ya. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode, guys. One of the biggest things that stuck out to me was his metaphor about culinary school. If you have a business idea, the next time someone asks you, hey, what are you doing in your life? You know, what's going on in the life of you? What I want you to say is, and I want you to think about this metaphor. I want you to think about inviting them into your kitchen, having them taste your sauce. I want you to say, oh, I'm doing X idea. Actually, I've been looking for people who can give me some feedback. Would you mind giving me your opinion on this? So for example, I could say, I'm doing a podcast called The Hard Thing Podcast. And actually, I've been looking for people to give me unbiased feedback. Would you mind giving it a listen, in parentheses, give the sauce a taste, give it a listen and give me some of your feedback on what could be improved, what you don't like, and what you really think makes a difference. That's just one example. I, I want to challenge you guys to do that. Ask people for feedback in this way and you'll get amazing feedback that will change you if you listen to it. You know, you got to step back 
you know, disassociate your heart from your work, if you will. Step back and let your work speak for itself and then change your work, improve it. This is going to help you immensely. Now, again, I want to remind you guys, reach out to us on Instagram at The Hard Thing Podcast. Send me a direct message telling me what, what you need in order to see results in your life. What would help you the most to accomplish hard things? But thank you so much, guys, for listening to the show. Come back next week for another great episode on Monday. We have episodes every single Monday. And make sure you follow the show so you never miss a single episode. We're everywhere podcasts are shown, so Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and the rest. But most importantly, go out and do some hard things this week. Do hard things because you will overcome average. Hey guys, one quick announcement for today's show, and you might have heard this already, even in today's episode, but uh, I have an awesome opportunity for you guys. Once in a lifetime, you have the opportunity to have dinner with myself and a covert CIA operative. That's right, an undercover spy. Uh, My guest, Andrew Bustamante, has been gracious enough to offer himself up (laughs) Uh, as guest for a dinner with myself and one lucky audience member. So if you want to sign up for that, make sure you hit the link in the show notes below. As well, you can go to Instagram and hit the link in my bio at The Hard Thing Podcast. This is first come, first serve, and there's only one slot. So whoever signs up first will have the opportunity to come to Utah and have dinner with myself and Andrew Bustamante. It's an exciting opportunity. It's one that you'll be able to brag about to your friends of being able to sit down, having dinner with an undercover secret agent. So don't waste any time. Go ahead and sign up in the link in the show notes or go to Instagram at The Hard Thing Podcast and click the link in my bio and you'll find all the relevant information there. Uh, So look forward to having dinner with you.